Sorry, as I'm like swatting at a giant fly that's buzzing around here in the studio tonight. I'm sorry about that. Special guest. Seriously. Uh, hello, everybody. It's uh, Wes, Hank, and Andy. We are back. It's uh, two nights in a row Crazy. as we uh, get together for part two of uh, Ahsoka. If you were here for part one last night, thanks for uh, for hanging out last night. I think we had a really good show last night. We had lots of great, great feedback, lots of great comments last night hopefully we'll uh have another great show tonight Excellent. can't see why not no i can't either uh i'm not going to waste any time i'm going to get right to it here i want to just to uh, put this up and uh flip this over here i want to ask you guys as i typically do uh toil and trouble episode two what did we think of toil and trouble um best episode ever <laughs> <laughs> and so starts the trend yeah i mean it, it really was better than the first one um but not that i mean the, they were both great it's it's so far it's uh so good i i can scarcely believe it i hope the other shoe doesn't drop it's that good that i'm worried <laughs> i i have to agree with you the the, the double shot the double episode drop um, serving as like a, a like a quasi prologue, kind of like what, what we got with and or um, really did sort of set the tone. Let's get this stuff out of the way. So by the time we get to episode three, we can get on with the mm -hmm. the the task at hand, which is heading off into rebellion territory. Yeah, into this other galaxy where we can either you know find Ezra and bring him home and or stop Tron. Yeah, right on. I got ahead of myself. Yeah. Got a little oh. too far ahead of myself. I forgot to uh, yeah. rattle the cage here. And uh, yeah. well, as we like to, let's try it again. Another round of bad Star Wars jokes. Nice. Guys, did you hear about the uh, sale that's going on over at the Darth Mall? I did not. No. Yeah, everything's half off. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. That leans right into what we were talking about yesterday. Perfect. Well, Isn't it ever? I don't know if you can lean. The funny thing yeah. is I had the joke. Uh, I It's the first thing I do. I write in sequence. So the first thing I do is I immediately, I know we're going to do a joke. So yeah. I always write the joke first. Not having the conversation that we had last night. That is the joke. Sincerely, that is the joke that I picked <laughs> days ago. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome, actually. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the title of, of this second episode, Toil and Trouble. Mm -hmm. bubble, bubble. Um, you guys ready to get your Shakespeare on? A little bit. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch. <laughs> well, it's a line from Macbeth. Uh, it, you know, uh, toil, uh, double, double, toil, and a trouble. Cauldron, or was it fire burn and cauldron bubble? And cauldron bubble, right. So the, witchcrafty. The line is repeated several times uh, during the course of the spell as the, the witches are casting it. Now, in the play, in Macbeth, Macbeth starts as a hero of the people, but subconsciously he's got this idea that he is fit to be king. Now so he's Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> he just can't wait to be king. Uh, nice. 
Well, the witches and their spell are actually meant to raise Macbeth's desire to the surface so that he might actually be tempted to try and become a king. But the witch's actual intent is uh, with their spell is to create a social disruption, thereby destroying Macbeth. Mm. Now, which they do, they are successful in doing that. And Macbeth goes on to become uh, a tyrant who is essentially hell-bent on killing anyone who opposes him and thereby destroying the man that he once was, as was intended by the witches. So you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself to become see- a villain. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I uh, included some imagery here. I've, I've included, uh, I mean, not only does our, our title an obvious nod to the fact that Morgan Elizabeth is a night sister or one of the witches of Dathomir. Um, is the, I, I feel like there's some, some parallels here to what's going on in Macbeth. Well, there's definitely some witchcraft parallels like the three times three. Well, the three statues from episode one, uh, the, the three fates of Greek mythology, the three witches in Macbeth, the three points, which unlock the map. Right. So, if Morgan Elizabeth is meant to be a uh, is meant to be synonymous or analogous with the witches, is there a line or an avenue that makes Thrawn analogous to Macbeth? Mm-hmm. What kind of thread are you spinning? <laughs> that is analogous. Will Thrawn be his own undoing, just like Macbeth? Well, he's already been so, and this is this is the thing with the deeper lore. He's already been a hero of the people, his own people. Well, and even uh, a hero of the empire. Oh, that's true. That is right? true. Yes, like, yes. That's, from a certain point of view. From a certain point of view, that's right. And now that the emperor is gone, and the shadow council is willing to put him in, put me in, coach. That's right. They all think that with Thrawn's leadership at the helm that they will have a return to power. It's got to go to your head too. Like, you know, yeah. And who knows what Thrawn we're getting. We're all, I see a lot of social media harping upon, like, I hope he's exactly the way he was. And like, he's a, he's a different uh, human. He's a different chess. That's right. He's not (laughs) the same guy from the original uh, Timothy's on novels. He's, he's far more, I mean, he's just as nuanced, but yeah. he, there are some differences. Sure. And and 20, like some odd years have passed, like, well, That's 10, right. sorry, 10 years have passed, like spent like, in another galaxy, maybe part, part-time captive of the Purgles. There's, you know, he, he, I could forgive any nuance because he's a different character. A lot of time yeah. has passed. Absolutely. Like, technically, his whole armada was humbled by this lowly little Jedi and a bunch of Purgles. That's right. The lowly little Jedi who would what in the second last episode is like, right, I know what I have to do. And then goes and does it. Yeah. And it makes sense because um, dipping this in Macbeth, um, because the the sequel uh, or sorry, the prequel trilogy was basically like Anakin is basically Othello. It's right. It's it's it, you know, there's a lot of analogies that direction, too. So I think what Dave uh, Filoni was doing a lot of was going, OK, yeah. so let's look at the mythology that George was basing things on and let's try yeah. to find new ground. Sure. You know, like, so it, we're trying to emulate a style. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that storytelling language. Like yeah. he used this Greek myth. I'm going to use 
this Norse myth. And yeah, we've, we saw that in episode one and we're going to see more of that uh, tonight in episode two with the Triketra and the threads of fate. These are all things that sort of feature prominently in, in Celtic and Norse mythology. Yeah. So, yeah, you guys ready to get into the episode? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. It's uh, part two. It's called Toil and Trouble. This one originally aired on a Tuesday, August the 22nd. It is uh, written by Dave Filoni, and it is directed by uh, Steph Green. Now, Steph Green, you may remember, she directed our second episode of uh, The Book of Boba Fett. That one was uh, Tribes of Tatooine. Now, this one has an advertised runtime of 44 minutes, but it is an actual 36 minutes and 48 seconds without titles or credits. And our episode synopsis reads, Ahsoka and General Harrison Dula travel to New Republic shipyards and make an unexpected discovery. <laughs> All right, our episode opens with a stark white background that fades in to reveal Ahsoka Tano standing in front of the window of Sabine's hospital room, looking out over Lothal City. The ghostly voice of Sabine echoes, you really think Ezra's still out there? Followed by a similar ghostly Ezra Bridger saying, I'm counting on you to see this through. Laying in her bed, an unconscious Sabine sighs. Her rest is fitful, and Ahsoka turns to look at her. As Sabine twitches in the bed, the ghostly voice of Ahsoka says, This isn't just about finding Ezra. It's about preventing another war. And we can hear the sounds of lightsabers clashing as the voice of Shin Hati says, We've been looking for this. Sabine answers, That's too bad. And we can hear Sabine grunt as she relives the lightsaber being thrust through her abdomen. Ahsoka walks over to the bed and calls Sabine as she gently places a hand on her to try and wake her. Jostled from her nightmare, Sabine clutches her abdomen as she looks around the room. A 2-1-B medical droid works at a nearby table while Hu Yang stands watching her. Sabine tries to get up as she blurts out uh, that the droids took the map, but Ahsoka stops her, telling her to relax. Sabine tells Ahsoka that she doesn't understand because she managed to open it. Ahsoka flashes a look at Huyang before Sabine continues. She says there were two galaxies and a pathway between them. Ahsoka asks where the pathway began in their galaxy, but Sabine says that the map was taken before she could decipher it. And to make matters worse, the droids destroyed the record she kept. Ahsoka asks how many droids were there, and Sabine says there were two, noting that she was able to take out one of them. A very concerned Ahsoka turns to leave the room. Sabine tries to sit up as she calls out to her, but Ahsoka pats her on the foot as she tells her, get some rest. But Sabine insists that she uh, waits, telling Ahsoka that Ahsoka needs her help. Now, coldly, Ahsoka glares back at the wounded Mandalorian and says, no, you've done enough, and promptly <laughs> walks out of the room. Shots fired. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> We get a nice audio cue in this uh, in this sequence that lets us know if we didn't already know by the presence of the two one B medical droid. We get an audio cue with the same sound effect that we got in Empire Strikes Back when Luke was on the medical ship getting his hand replaced. Yeah, which also just happens to be the same <laughs> the same sound in the Lars family kitchen as Baru was cooking. <laughs> <laughs> More interesting is the notion of this interaction between Ahsoka and Sabine. Ahsoka standing at the window, vicariously sort of experiencing what Sabine is presumably dreaming. Clearly, there's some connection between these two through the Force. 
I feel like this might be related to the sense echo ability, which we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we, as we go forward, but it's a little different. All right. This was a, uh, a less intrusive version of what she used on Morgan. No, I think this is more, this is more related to that. You know, when Yoda, uh, uh, Luke has the, the vision about, you know, seeing his friends in danger and Yoda says, you know, help them. You could, but you know, you're trying, it's mm-hmm. that whole connection. Like the, there's these emotional, having emotional ties to people that you really care about makes your connection to them through the force that much stronger. Like when she's communing with Grogu. Yeah, she very much says, so. Like we can feel each other's thoughts. Yeah, feel very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elsewhere, Balin and Shin fly their shuttle towards a seaside cliff. The plateau is covered in a dense forest of red-leaved trees, but in a clearing near the edge stands an array of stones forming a circular henge-like structure. Passing over the henge, they land nearby and they walk into it. The structure is very old, as evidenced by nature, which is slowly taking back the henge in the form of grass and weeds that have grown through the stone floor. Having weathered the seaside for an eternity, all of the stone spires are smooth and rounded, yet the deep carved lines on the rocky floor are still sharp and well-defined. Balin turns the golden orb over in his hands, staring at it as he and his apprentice approach a pedestal at the center. Placing the orb on the pedestal, the orb begins to rotate before locking itself in position. Balin orders Shin to contact Morgan and tell her that he believes they have located what he calls the reflex point here on the planet Cetos. As Shin walks back to the shuttle, Balin follows one of the spires up with his eyes as the almost imperceptible form of a purgle flies through the clouds overhead. And we get the audio cue of the whale song uh, as he's looking up. The mm-hmm. Do we think that that reflex point was a was a Robotech nod? And and and, and if it was more than a nod, would, could it carry the weight that it, that the reflex point carries? Reflex point uh, in Robotech is in Robotech. the is the 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 crash site mm-hmm. of uh, the main battle fortress. It's sort of the. Uh, it's the where everybody is fixated on both the beginning the, the, of yeah, that story. And it's hey. really interesting. <laughs> so I wonder what if they meant because there's I tried to look this up and I could not find a reference for it. But like when you put in reflex point into Google, one of the other hits you'll get is a reflection point. And then there are all kinds of intonations about what a reflection point is. Some of them more apt than not, but nothing yeah. that made me go. I really need to dig further on this. So yeah, yeah. I'm leaving it open. What exactly the reflex point is. Yeah. I mean, for all we know, it's a Duran Duran reference. I don't know. Sitas <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. here. Uh, that's a new planet making its uh, first appearance here in Ahsoka. We've never heard of this planet before. And then uh, afterwards we uh, cut to our title card. It's uh, Ahsoka part two toil and trouble. Back on Lothal, a pair of Lothcats perk their heads up from a tall grass as a speeder races toward the old communications tower. Now cut to the courtyard just outside of the tower, and Ahsoka walks slowly through the scene of Sabine's battle with Shin, observing the remains. Oh, I, I you know what? There is no droid there. Why did I think there was a droid there? Mm. 
It's tall grass. <laughs> Looking at the tall grass, <laughs> gesturing with her hand, she reaches out with the force to sense the echo of the battle between Shin and Sabine. You hear the sound of a lightsaber igniting, followed by the ghostly voice of Shin, who says, we've been looking for this. Then Sabine, that's too bad. That's for the second time, by the way. Mm -hmm. And finally, the clashing of lightsabers. Ahsoka turns in place before walking over to Sabine's speeder bike, now parked at the base of the tower. A helmet sits on the seat, and both of them are sporting a custom paint job in shades of red, yellow, and purple. Then looking up, at the tower ahsoka takes in its full height um let's get into it right now sense echo this is something that uh we've seen before mm -hmm. um essentially this is a this is the star wars take on the psychic phenomena known as psychometry or object reading except right. in this case uh with the the force uh, effect it applies not only to objects but also areas geographical areas uh, this is something that we see Cal Kestis do in both uh, Jedi Fallen Order and Jedi Survivor. Yep. Now, the first appearance of psychometry in Star Wars is the 1994 Legends novel, The Courtship of Princess Leia. In that oh, book, uh, favorite. Luke, <laughs> <laughs> that's come up how many times over the last A few bunch. review series? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in the courtship of Princess Leia, Luke actually tracks Han Solo using Han's emotional scent, like a bloodhound, to the casino on Dathomir. Uh, on Dathomir, <laughs> a planet that Han Solo just happened to win uh, while gambling. Right. <laughs> We're going to take the name and use it and forget all that other stuff. That's right. Um, and the other cool thing is that uh, the Kifar Jedi Master, Quinlan Voss, he's not human, he's a Kifar, near human species, was also very skilled in psychometry. Only in his case, I think it was more of a species thing that was just natural, amped up mm -hmm. uh, by his uh, uh, proficiency with the. Force. His was pretty spe object specific as well. Yeah, like, like it like was. Touch an item, get its history. Whereas, like, half of Cal Kestis and Ahsoka apparently their ability is to like step into a situation uh, and literally have the the moment from the past reenacted for them yeah almost like having an instant replay yeah well i i, I found it kind of neat when she take she does take a couple steps like in the battle oh yeah like she's kind of same as uh prince humperdinck did when he oh yeah 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 he's tracking the them. between uh you know <laughs> when he picks up the carry always and i okay and powder yeah, before that though when he's like literally doing the steps yeah step, yeah, step, yeah yeah exactly reliving this duel between uh yeah him and uh you're a mean man with a map flintstone <laughs> All right. What sets uh, the sets uh, the sense echo force ability apart from traditional psychometry is that the wielder need not physically touch the object that they are reading. Right. And according to the Wikipedia, so a big grain of salt here because anybody can update the Wikipedia. Yeah. However, the canon entry for uh, uh, sense echo says that it is a ability that is unique among force users in that it is a skill that cannot be cultivated through training. You must be born with it. Hmm. Although the ability may not manifest itself for years. And when it does manifest, it does require practice to learn how to control and perfect it. Although I suspect that now that Ahsoka is doing it, that is going to be a retcon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or isn't that or what we ran into? 
Yeah, yeah, Ray also did it. Just getting close yeah. to the same. That's right. right. So, I mean, this I feel is going to be just added to the suite of all Jedi powers. Mm. Uh, Facebook user says her species has that ability as a Togruta. Hmm. I know hmm. they have some extra sensory stuff going on. Um, it's hard to say what that is because it's been legends to canon to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's an evolutionary trait amongst her species because they are a predator species on their mm-hmm. own world. That's At right. least they were in Legends anyway. Until that cat showed up. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were also, baby, if a baby can ride it back to camp, it's not all that tough. <laughs> they were also depicted with sharp teeth in Legends. So, like, to tie into that whole, they were a predator species. Mm. Okay, so uh, back at the tower. Uh, on the platform at the top of the tower, uh, Ahsoka is met by Sabine's pet Lothcat. Now the Tuka meows at her and Ahsoka crouches down to greet it. The door to the old control room now converted to living quarters is still open and both the Lothcat and Ahsoka look inside. Ahsoka walks inside while the Lothcat hangs back on the platform. Now Ahsoka walks past the smashed remains of uh, Sabine's work on the star map before she spots the hollow puck sitting on a crate. Activating the puck, the hollow image of Ezra Bridger flickers to life, and Ahsoka sighs as she stares at his image. The Lothcat, which has now moved into the doorway, keeps an eye on Ahsoka, but suddenly its ears fold back as it begins to growl and hiss. Sensing the danger, Ahsoka spins around to meet an HK assassin droid as it drops from a concealed position in the rafters. With one fell motion, she toggles her lightsaber on for a fraction of a second, sending the blade through the droid's chest, then reignites the blade and with a reverse grip, cuts the droid's head clean from its shoulders. As that's the, body, the maneuver that's considered, uh, like, uh, faux which pas. One? Like, uh, the, the turn the on, on and off? turn it off. Yeah, but she does. She she totally does. <laughs> and maybe it's because it's a droid, or maybe it's because it's... Because it's that maneuver, and I've, I've seen a few videos on social media about it, too. That maneuver is is, like... Apparently, not uncouth. honorable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not to honorable. both Sith and Jedi. It's because it's such a like. Why? There's tons of times we've seen duels where that could have been the difference. We saw Ben do that in uh, the Rise of Skywalker. Thought it was pretty cool in that instance. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, yeah, on and off for a fraction of a second, sending the blade to the droid's chest, then reignites the blade, and with a reverse grip, she cuts the droid he- uh, the droid's head clean from its shoulders. As the body slumps to the floor, Ahsoka remarks, I was hoping you were still here, while Sabine's Lothcat snarls at the decapitated head lying on the floor. (laughs) Well, later on, back at Sabine's hospital room, Ahsoka, Huyang, and a life-sized image, a holographic image of General Harrison Dula gather around the Mandalorian warrior's bed. Sabine looks over the severed droid head, remarking that as long as the capacitors weren't shorted out when it was liberated from its body, she should be able to work with it. Ahsoka asks if Sabine is up for the task, and when she says that, just like the droid, she too is quite resilient, Ahsoka gives a sideways look to Hera, who flashes a smile back at her. Sabine removes the droid's cranial cover as she explains that this model has several built-in backup systems. And before she can explain what the significance of those systems are, Huyang interjects that the droid's memory core remains partially active even after termination. 
nodding at Hu Yang, Sabine adds that if you can get the power levels right, you can recover the droid's memory. An elated Hu Yang adds, and find out where it came from. As Sabine continues to wire the droid head into a control device, Hera asks her, what happens if you get the power levels wrong? Boom. And matter-of-factly, Sabine tells her, it'll explode. <laughs> but she also says that she can pull the plug on it before it gets that far. Now, Hu Yang suggests that maybe they try this procedure somewhere else, while Hera says, no, you should just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not in a hospital. Of course, as a holographic projection, there's no imminent danger to her, a fact that Hu Yang is quick to point out. I love that line. <laughs> because you're a hologram? Yeah, exactly. Even the way he delivers it, that's so good. It's that was my, great. I la that was my first laugh out loud. Ahsoka says they don't have time to relocate, and they're already falling behind. And she instructs Sabine to go ahead with the procedure. Sabine activates her control device, and the droid's head begins uh, to light up as the data transfer commences. A temperature indicator on the table lights up, displaying a single bar. Huyang points out that the circuit temperature is rising, while Ahsoka asks if Sabine has anything. Sabine works the controls frantically while the decapitated droid head chatters incoherently. Sabine says the droid memory is encrypted and she's going to need a minute. But the temperature indicator has now risen to five bars and the droid's head begins to spark. Ahsoka says she's not sure if they have a minute, while Huyang tells Sabine it's overheating and encourages her to turn it off. Excuse me, sorry. Uh, Sabine is insistent that she can get it, even though the temperature has now increased to eight bars. And there is, an, there is now an audible electronic whine coming from the droid head as if something is winding up. When the indicator hits 10 bars, a very excited Hu Yang declares that they're <laughs> out of time and he pulls the plug from the HK droid's head. Sabine protests, no, wait, but it's too late. Sabine stares at the control device with a look of shock on her face. And when Ahsoka leans in asking, what is it? Sabine furrows her brow as she tells them, the droid came to Lothal from Corellia. Confused, Hera questions, the New Republic shipyard? Turning to face Hera's hologram, Ahsoka mentions that Morgan Elizabeth had factories on Corellia. Hera says that her operations should have been dismantled after the rebellion. And a disdainful Ahsoka asks, did anybody actually check on that? Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Facebook user Sabine has a great prop. My cousin had that game when I was a kid. It never had batteries. <laughs> to me, it reminded me. I, I said this in our uh, private chat. I thought it was like the old Merlin handheld. Mm. Um, it's not exact, but it kind of looks like the the Merlin with the red. Yeah, yeah. Kind of nice to see that the robot is still obeying the three laws, right? Protect human life. So I actually was looking at uh, Asimov's uh, um, three uh, laws, three laws. Now, obviously, the HK droid does not No, <laughs> but Hu Yang. Yes, absolutely. Um, Facebook user says, oh, it's upside down. I never device. put that together. I never for a second put that together. That it was upside down. Nice. It was a space shooter. Oh, OK. OK. Neat. Cool. Uh, Hera, not sure, uh, sorry, let me, sorry, did anybody actually check on that? Hera, not sure what to make of the information, tells Ahsoka, I'll meet you there. Sabine pipes up with, uh, let's get going. But Ahsoka refuses to the help, saying that she needs to recover. Sabine protests, I'm fine. 
but it's too late because Ahsoka is already out the door. Hera nods at Hu Yang, who leaves the room so the two women can talk privately. Now, let me just preface this next event about what's uh, what's about to happen here. I want to put this out for everybody, for our audience and for you guys. I just want you to think the words space mom. <laughs> this conversation that Hera is about to have with Sabine is so space mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's Facebook what user we, is Lauren. We call oh, Facebook user. It's Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Hi. She cracked that game. That's awesome. All right. So, uh, Hu Yang leaves the room. Now, Harris tells Sabine, you did good. Now, Sabine nods with a twisted up smirk on her face as she looks at her hospital room door and says, well, I'll tell that to her. Staring intently at Sabine, Harris says, I do. But Ahsoka isn't the one that needs to hear it right now. Sabine sighs as she shakes her, shakes her head. I haven't seen her in years, and the first thing I do goes sideways. Hera says that both of them are difficult, and she thought that was what made their relationship work. Now, looking up at Hera, Sabine retorts, until it didn't. Hera says that despite all of that, she and Ahsoka still need to help each other. Sabine's eyes go wide as she says, you heard her. She doesn't want my help. But Hera just smiles in the way that only an insightful mother can as she answers, yes, yes, she does. And she tells Sabine to get some rest because she's going to need it. And Sabine offers a weak smile as she thanks the general. Hera nods as she offers any time. Then the hologram winks out, leaving Sabine alone in her hospital room. Okay, uh, back at the Henge on Cetos. A ship resembling a golden moth has landed, and Morgan Elizabeth, along with two guards, exit it. Walking purposefully onto the henge, Morgan demands to know what it is the two false Jedi have found. Balin gestures towards the square pedestal with the golden map sphere still locked in position on top of it. Standing over top of the map, Morgan sneers as Balin asserts, This henge wasn't built by Jedi, and he questions who built it. Morgan tells him that it was built by an ancient people from a distant galaxy and then asks if Balin would like to see it. Him and all the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Nodding in affirmative, he and Shin move closer to watch as Morgan waves her hand over the map. A green flame flickers up from under the sphere and the map levitates up several inches over the pedestal. As Morgan weaves her spell, the lines and glyphs on the map begin to glow before several pinpoints of light begin to form in a loose circle around it. The glow intensifies until what looks like a holographic image of the known galaxy coalesces into being. Morgan flicks her hand and the hologram's brightness intensifies, while at the same time, golden beams of light streak out along the recessed lines of the stone floor terminating at the tops of the rocky spires. Balin and Shin watch in awe as a holographic dome rises out of the perimeter of the henge encircling the three of them. Marks on the dome indicate several constellations as well as blind... Correction, sorry. Marks on the dome indicate several constellations as well as line markings indicating distance and direction. Waving her hand over the map again, an image of a second galaxy on the dome rotates and slides into the semicircular cutout at the top of the tallest spire. The image of this second galaxy is rimmed with a ring of holographic purgle. 
Morgan tilts the star map in front of her, and a golden beam, not unlike a thread, streaks <laughs> out from the known galaxy onto a point in the new one. Staring at the golden point of light, Morgan tells Balin, that is our destination, where Grand Admiral Thrawn is banished. Balin questions the pathway to Paradia. Uh, Paradia, that's a new location we've not heard before. That's uh, getting uttered here for the first time. Yeah. Looks Morgan, like pointing at the Western Spiral Arm, too, if you will. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Morgan says, some call it that. And Balin says, well, that's what the children of the Jedi Temple called it, adding that it came from old stories and fairy tales. But Morgan says that those tales are based on truths. And that is almost like the line from Ahsoka in Rebels about there's always truth in, in some legends. Le in legends. And yeah. I just like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Balin asks Morgan if she's certain, adding that he feels the way forward is clouded. Morgan inhales deeply and she closes her eyes and we can hear an incomprehensible whispering. With her eyes still shut, Morgan says that Thrawn calls to her across time and space. Not just space, time mm -hmm. and space. So does that mean wherever they jumped, was it instantaneous and it's still that time for him? Or like, has time passed here? Does it pass differently there? Is it like, you know, I feel like the Purgles probably like the Lothwolves or probably like the, uh, um, the Moray, maybe, um, when maybe. they're traveling, it's probably this other way of traveling through hyperspace, you know, like, a yeah, I mean, definitely you can go to another galaxy. We talk about the distances between stars on our own and yeah, absolutely, you know, speed of light and all that. Who knows if that stuff even counts here? We've transcended that at least in, in regular space travel, but everybody's seen uh, interstellar. Yeah. Yes. So, I so, mean, so if a Purgle's traveling through the world between worlds to get to its destination, it's almost like quite like, possibly uh, mm -hmm. like folding space, like, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It could be. Well, Balin tells her she speaks of dreams, vague and fractured hopes. Well, opening her eyes, Morgan looks directly at Balin and she tells him that the threads of fate do not lie. Right on the nose. <laughs> threads of fate do not lie. Balin nods at Morgan, uh, uh, nods, and Morgan closes her hand over the map and the hologram fades out of existence and the map sphere descends back down onto the pedestal. Turning to face the two false Jedi, Morgan tells them that the Eye of Scion is on its way to Setos, and that they are to make sure that everything is ready for its arrival. Balin nods as she tells Morgan that Merrick will complete his task. Morgan replies, see to it that he does, and leaves the henge. With his head down in thought, Balin begins to walk around the henge, but Shin can't take her gaze away from Morgan. When she finally pulls it away, she asks her master what will happen when they uh, when they find Grand, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Balin says that for some it will be war, while for others it will be a new beginning. Shin asks what about the two of them? And staring off into the clouded sky, Balin tells her power such as you've never dreamed. As Morgan's uh, shuttle lifts off, uh, Shin looks at her master skeptically. But it's a fleeting moment as uh, Balin pulls back from whatever power fantasy he was dreaming of, and he instructs her to go to Corellia and assist Merrick with what he calls the final transport. 
Uh, we get a reference here. We get the, the name of the, the ship that they're building, the, the right. Eye of Scion. Um, and it's not Scion in the traditional sense, like S-C-I-O-N. It's S-I-O-N. Mm-hmm. We do have a reference for Scion in Star Wars, uh, right. the, the Sith Lord, mm-hmm. uh, which goes all the way back to the, like, the days of like Exar Kun. Sorry. <laughs> Mr. Rogers? That's awesome. <laughs> That's, uh, and I'll put this shoe on. That's right. And this shoe on. I don't know if there's a correlation here. It's again, the, the, we talked about this uh, last night uh, with episode one, that the idea of a new galaxy just gives us this opportunity to go off and tell new stories that are not impacted by anything. So is this just another, is this just like the similarity stops at the name or will there be a bigger connection? We put so much emphasis in the, the relationship to this is a night sister thing, or this is from another galaxy yeah could it could be related to the legends era stuff could be something new i think it's direct enough and spelled enough alike that it's probably and again it could be just like a drop yeah this i like the name we'll we'll make that that count i agree Um, with you it's far enough back though we're not talking like high republic or even a thousand generations we're talking no no it's xr kun era like the begin, you know, like the beginning of the of the Jedi Order, like yeah, uh, like the tens Rakata, of thousands, tens of thousands of years, yeah. Like, like again, the Rakata Empire, not the cheese. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got another uh, mythology reference. I want to talk about this for a second. It's it's mm-hmm. been it's been permeating since uh, Episode One, since Master and Apprentice, and and it's the the threads of fate. Another mythology reference, this one from Greek mythology, specifically a group of three elderly women who spin, measure, and cut the thread of life. Um, that three again. The three women outside the uh, the, the temple. <coughs> I mean, are they analogous to the three to the three fates? Could be. So here's where it gets really interesting, and this is where I kind of go off the rails because it, while it doesn't relate directly to this episode, it does pertain to our main protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, these three women collectively are referred to as the Moirai. Um, that's awful close to Morai. Morai, the Convorel. With these women essentially uh, responsible for spinning the, the fate, uh, the threads of human destiny. Um, does that mean that Ahsoka is destiny personified or that Morai is destiny personified? So I feel like I'd be saying that for a bit. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Like calling her an immortal character, essentially. Yeah. Or, yeah or is she destined to take a position as one of these three fates? I don't know. I, you know, there is. I mean, each of the th- each of the fates, each of the women, they have their own name. Each one does one thing. One, uh, what is it here? Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, one spins it. One measures it. The third one cuts it. So essentially, it's it's analogous to birth, life, and death. Yeah. Mm-hmm essentially is what it is um and we've seen these like in other movies and oh absolutely evenly as recently as what shazam fury of the gods yes the stygian witches are yes the stygian witches are another uh, another uh uh case of that uh three it's a magic number and uh morganite in irish well there you go Um, (laughs) great vincent price album uh which was witchcraft and something 
back in the seventies, and they do go over that there as well, like the three times three times three, right? That's right. Um, that's, just seriously, the- that's the time. Uh, three times three is the number of times uh, Soka. <laughs> maybe it's the, not a, maybe it's not an oh no seriously um just want to point this one out in terms of film and tv tropes the threads of fate are considered a death trope i would say so based on uh uh that doesn't bode well what was that one for... uh with angelina jolie and morgan freeman where they were messing with the threads of fate oh um oh and they did the rockford maneuver Oh my gosh, I don't know. What are we thinking of? (laughs) Oh, it's the one where like he's groomed to be an assassin after his father was an assassin. They're in the guild. Oh, wow. And they Uh, start mucking with threads of fate. uh, Is that the one where they bend the bullets? Yes. Uh, Yeah, I can't remember. You know the one I'm talking about. Yes, I do know the one. Yes. Right. Uh, This being a a death trope, um, you know, if the three witches again, if Morgan is analogous to one of these ladies, that does not bode well for her that this is a death trope. Mm. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, I just thought it, I thought it was cool. I kind of got down a rabbit hole on this whole uh, Morai thing, and I'm like, oh, 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 okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of uh, Arthurian stuff going on here. A lot of round tables. A lot there of is, yeah. Morgan. <laughs> uh, as the you know the, the the bad guy the Morgane kind of thing you know you can yeah, see through yeah, that yeah, yeah. and Maroc who's is one of the knights of the Round Table yeah uh, uh, we've got Lauren who says that autocorrect is her nemesis <laughs> Morganite <laughs> may be wrong I don't know um, Wanted I mean, was the film though Wanted that's it yeah Wanted but even go. in that like they they delved into like you know Round Table and all these knights of it. Oh, you're no, absolutely. Did. Sort of analogous of karma, like like you yeah. muck with these things. There's going to be a ripple along the line somewhere. Sure, sure. It's just cool mythology. Like we we talked about at the beginning. It's like Dave's going. Uh, I'm going to step laterally from what George was doing and pick something just as cool. And this may have even had seeds um, back. You know, because the idea of Moray and and that if it's the namesake was created by George Lucas back in the, the Clone Wars animated. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I definitely want to go back to Rebels now with that one scene where everybody's like, oh, look, it's Grogu doing the fire thing. Oh, yeah. Or any of the other, you know, hieroglyphs kind of universe reference. Oh, that's a good question. Now. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, a good that's question. A, that's true. <laughs> we'll be looking at that microscopically mm-hmm. next week. All right, uh, over the planet Corellia, Ahsoka's T-6 Jedi shuttle drops out of hyperspace and it moves toward the planet's surface. Passing by a large space station, we can see at least seven MC-30 uh, frigates docked uh, while another passes underneath with a CR-90 Corvette escort. This region of Corellia's surface is a vast network of waterways and shipbuilding yards. And as Ahsoka heads in for a landing at a massive shipbuilding uh, gantry, we can see the remains of several Imperial Star Destroyers in various states of disassembly. Rotating the T-6's fin-shaped wing for landing, Ahsoka sets down near a familiar-looking Sheathapede shuttle. It's the Phantom II, the small support vessel normally found docked with Harrison Dula's VCX-100 freighter, the Ghost. Getting so close. Ahsoka joins Hera and the regional supervisor, Min Weaver. Now, Min is accompanied by an RA-7 protocol droid, 
Although the RA-7 had been produced since the Clone Wars, it gained notoriety as the preferred protocol droid of the Galactic Empire. In fact, the Empire commissioned uh, its own line of RA-7s where they proved to be effective spies. Hmm. Weaver recounts Weaver that too. when the... Yeah. Somebody that Weaver, plays with threads? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Weaver recounts that when the Empire fell, that all Imperial assets were dissolved and redistributed, including Morgan Elizabeth's. Ahsoka says that they'd appreciate a look at her former operations anyway. Now, Min tries to dissuade them by telling him that he's quite busy. Hera tells mm -hmm. the man that, well, she could just as easily make this a more formal inspection. But after darting his eyes back and forth between the two women for a moment, uh, he passes his data pad off to his droid assistant, and he tells them uh, that won't be necessary, and he beckons them to follow him. From the droid socket on the Phantom, the curmudgeonly astromech droid, CP-10P, affectionately known as Chopper, watches the women leave while he shakes his head and chatters to himself. Now, uh, Min Weaver, Min Weaver, that's Peter Jacobson. He's a working actor with just under uh, 100 credited roles, mm -hmm. uh, starting with uh, the, the uh, vaunted role of reporter number one. <laughs> on the uh, very second episode of uh, NYPD Blue back in 1993, but he is probably most recognized as uh, Dr. Chris Taub uh, in 96 episodes of House, House MD, between 2007 and 2012. He's in a Marvel movie or show, too, wasn't he, recently? Uh, I don't know. Do you recognize him, Andy? Uh, I thought I did, but... Feels real. I'm not sure background guy in guardians or something possibly we cut to an overhead shot where hera ahsoka and min weaver ride a repulsor skiff through one of morgan elizabeth's former facilities weaver explains that morgan supplied the raw materials used to construct hyperdrive generators for imperial class star destroyers <laughs> he says that now that the imperial fleet is being dismantled they're using the hyperdrive cores to power the ships of the new republic defense fleet dun, dun, dun. Ahsoka asks if the facility still employs any of Morgan's former staff. And Weaver explains that they do. Well, they had to in order to stay operational. He adds that the Empire or an Empire does not become a Republic overnight. And he says that you can find ex-Imperials at every level of mm -hmm. the New Republic government. Mm -hmm. Love that line. Because we didn't see that one coming. Well, just like the opening uh, sort of paragraph of the the original novel uh, written by George. Oh Lucas, my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ghost written, uh, but it's literally the 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 Republic corrupted like a tree from within. That's right. And yeah, just the same as the New Republic is corrupt, being corrupted. Well, uh, and as if on cue, workers in the yard shoot sideways looks at the trio as the skiff whizzes by. Yeah. Hera asks Min if he's worried about uh, the em uh, employee loyalty but he's not worried in the least. He says that the average worker doesn't care about galactic politics and they're loyal as long as they get paid. Hera questions Weaver's own loyalty. Then cocking his head to one side, he tells her that he's a businessman. His loyalty is to his investors and he'll leave the politics to her. As the speeder moves through the shipyard, Hera suggests to Ahsoka that connecting with Sabine has paid off. But Ahsoka doesn't exactly share that assessment as she replies, until she lost the map. But Hera's optimism won't be unfettered as she replies, at least she unlocked it. 
But Ahsoka, who clearly has a chip on her shoulder, says that doesn't do them any good if they don't have it. But Hera won't give up. Sabine got them to Corellia, and she's quick to point that out. When Ahsoka asks what it is she's getting at, Hera tells her that she was wondering if Ahsoka would consider taking Sabine back on as her apprentice. With Hera's hand played, Ahsoka nods in understanding, but says that maybe she and Sabine are both past that now. Hera thinks that both Sabine and Ahsoka could use the structure, but Ahsoka says that Sabine isn't ready. Pressing her, Hera mm -hmm. asks what makes someone ready. And pensively, Ahsoka says, you just know, and so do they. With an acquiescent nod from Hera, the conversation ends, and the skiff moves off through the yard while more workers watch. And if I that have to say is the not, dialogue just feels like rebels. It really does. And if that's not the, the book end of the space mom conversation that we had yeah. back in the hospital. Yeah, talking to one kid by yourself, right. talking to the other one by yourself. Right, right. Laying the groundwork. Even if we're not 100% clear yet on the dynamic of what happened between Ahsoka and Sabine, it's uh, because right now with an episode and what a bit it's almost like they're squabbling siblings like they, yeah. they don't really have that master apprentice dynamic they just seem to be more like sibling and younger sibling yeah <laughs> exactly. there's, there's, they, they don't interact in rebels like right right they're not you know sabine's wrapped up with ezra and like i uh, sorry uh ahsoka's wrapped up every time you see her with ezra and kanan yeah. Side mission doing the there's no like you watch it over and over and over there's zero interaction between sabine and ahsoka maybe a passing glance maybe one or two lines of dialogue but i don't even think there's that quite honestly yeah 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 um, and so that i think that um i think this was maybe part of the plan if it would if the show was going to keep going but it's it's almost like he's gonna. I'm just gonna take my favorites and just jam them into new. Mm. new you know, I'm playing with my action figures now. So yeah, I can, yeah. I can I'm Robert some, Rodriguez in this shit. Right, like and literally put a lightsaber <laughs> in a Mandalorian's hand and That's go. Right, hey, let's yeah. tell a new story. I like that. You know, that she's really trying to bring everybody. She's trying to bring at least those two back together. I really like that. Um, and again, that kind of lays into what I said. You know that that I make the joke space bomb, but really, I mean, let's not forget Hera really is a mother. We haven't seen Jason yet, but she's mm -hmm. a mother. So, I mean, mm -hmm. that for me, it, it comes through in Mary Elizabeth Winstead's performance here that she's really doing a, a great job at what Hera has always done. I hope yeah. there's something in the series that causes her to have to drop her accent. We get that little Twilight French. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that would be cool. That, that would, would be, be very cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lauren says either Obi and Annie or him and Ahsoka. Yeah. yeah. Neither did Obi and Annie or him and Ahsoka. Yeah, they didn't get You're along right. either. You're like right. they, they, they right. bickered like brother and sister. All the Absolutely, time. they did all the time. All right. So, uh, back at Sabine's hospital room, the medical droid removes a back to patch from her mostly healed lightsaber wound just as Hu Yang enters. I did not say anything uh, <laughs> in my notes, but I did oh, say I did say to you guys, "What the hell is a hospital without a back to tank?" But Descriptive audio tells us that that is a back to patch that the droid, uh, the two one B droid, is removing. So it's only a little injury. I, I would imagine, like before we got to the first scene, that she spent some time in a back to tank. But that probably you're probably with, right with the you're PG rating. Right. We couldn't show her in her underwear underwater. Right, right. Just men. Yeah, Just yeah. Men. <laughs> That's right. Men oh in yeah, the 70s. yeah, yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, he remarks how he heard that. Uh, sorry. Just as Hu Yang enters and he remarks how he heard that her repairs were nearly complete before noting that she still has her lightsaber. Sabine corrects the ancient droid by telling him that that's Ezra's lightsaber. And while Hu Yang acknowledges the fact that Ezra was, yes, the one to construct it, he did, he in fact is the one to correct Sabine by telling her that, well, he actually passed it on to you and now you've made your own modifications to it, therefore it's your lightsaber. Rolling her eyes, Sabine murmurs, for all the good it did me. Hmm. Hu Yang then asks Sabine if she's kept up with her training. When Sabine says, obviously not, Hu Yang pragmatically suggests that maybe it's time to start again. Sabine says, well, she doesn't think that's up to her because uh, uh, Ahsoka doesn't want to train her. Hu Yang asks her to explain. Ahsoka doesn't want to teach. Hu Yang calls the, the, uh, Sabine's answer a poor excuse. Mm -hmm. Turning to face the droid, Sabine fires back that it was Ahsoka that quit on her. But his answer is very droid-like. The past is the past. Move forward. Uh, Lauren, another trick, logically speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that. Oh, tech. Yeah, yeah, I, tech. I get that. Yeah. Sabine, he, except he's so pragmatic. That's, I love that about Absolutely. Him. Yeah. Like to a fault. Mm -hmm. Sabine accepts the ancient droid logic, but she asks if he and Ahsoka could have opened the map by them. Had they been able to open the map by themselves, would they have come here? <laughs> Oh, so now I'm getting corrected. That was Doug. Okay, so we have we have we have multiple Facebook we users multiple. tonight. <laughs> Comment D or L. Seriously. It's awesome. All right. Sorry, I apologize. We love them both. <laughs> she accepts the droid logic and asks that. But if Ahsoka could have uh, opened the map by themselves, would they have come here? Hu Yang calls the question irrelevant, but Sabine insists, "No, it really is." Pressing him further, she asks if she was part of the plan at all asking if Ahsoka was going to tell her about Ezra before questioning if this reunion of sorts was Hera's idea. Um, Hu Yang concedes that Hera thought her insight with the map would be valuable and that Ahsoka agreed with her. Sabine smirks at the droid and then gets up and joins him in front of the window. Sabine insists that Ahsoka didn't want her back, that uh, she wasn't even thinking about her. Then Hu Yang counters that in all fairness, Sabine never really indicated that she even wanted to come back. Sabine remarks that, well, she forgot how annoying Hu Yang could be. And the ancient droid retorts, logical. Standing in front of the window with her arms folded across her chest. Arms folded across her chest. <laughs> she says it doesn't matter because she never had the talent or the abilities like Ezra did. Hu Yang acknowledges that much is true. Add, adding that uh, over the centuries, he's known many Padawan learners but Sabine's aptitude for the force falls short of all of them. <laughs> That's ouch. <laughs> and so funny at the same time that he would be that blunt. Yeah. You suck. <laughs> it's almost goading her though. Like, come on, get back in there. Yeah. Really turning to face Huyang, Sabine tells him that she won't waste any more of Ahsoka's time, but holding up the lightsaber to offer it to Sabine, Huyang tells her that the only time being wasted is her own. Yeah. You better hurry up if you're going to compensate for all that lack of natural talent. <laughs> <laughs> Taking the lightsaber from uh, Hu Yang, Sabine stares down at it pensively. 
Uh, I said last night I was going to uh, throw this up here, and now we've we've come to the 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 time in our show where it's comparison time. There it is. So this is Ezra Bridger's lightsaber, and uh, the best image I could find is the one on the left. That is the uh, uh, the Galaxy's Edge Ezra Bridger uh, legacy lightsaber. So about Very as close nice. to a prop replica as you're going to get. Yeah, you got that in, uh, one to one scale. On the right-hand side, we have the actual prop replica of Sabine Wren's lightsaber on display at San Diego Comic-Con earlier this year, and we can see that they are, in fact, the same uh, the same hilt. Looks like Sabine has uh, changed the emitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that emitter, and I didn't add any, I should have put a picture in for this, but it's very much Jero Paul. Yeah, it looks very. a lot like Ahsoka's emitter, like with the split. Oh, her her original sabers. Um, yeah, like the well, the green her, ones. Doesn't her current one have a split? Um, no, no, no. They're just uh, slightly oh, they, oh, they do. Yeah, they look like katanas. No, so you're right. It is the, yeah. like her original sabers because that yeah, split yeah. goes all the way down. But it it, it does look a lot like Gerald Paul when you say absolutely. That. Yeah. yeah, yep. By the way, Gerald stock uh, lightsaber parts, right? Hugh Wayne would have had them in his back pocket. Jedi Master uh, Jero Tapal of the uh, Lasat species, mm-hmm. another uh, loose connection to uh, Rebels. And a second time in this episode, we're getting another jumping off starting point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Morgan saying, here, we're at the starting point. Yeah. And now Hu Yang's telling her, okay, you're at a point again. Start again. Yeah, start mm-hmm. again. I do like that. Well, back on Corellia, Min Weaver shows Hera and Ahsoka the control room where they keep track of inventory that's created from the dismantled Imperial ships. A pair of red protocol droids on either side of the door work away at computer stations, while three seated humans work from consoles just under the windows that span the room. With the trapezoidal windows and the general layout of this control room, it is very reminiscent of the bridge of any capital starship that we've ever seen, mostly Imperial. As Ahsoka and Hera examine the room, Weaver tells them that the profits generated from one Star Destroyer is enough to fund various New Republic reconstruction programs, among other things. When Ahsoka asks, what other things? Weaver explains that the board and the primary investors have the first look at all unique hardware, as well as setting the price and the distribution. <laughs> Translation: uh, Evil mega corporation gets first look and plays fast and loose with what and who they sell it to, and for right. how much. Absolutely, you're going to pay me this much for this thing. And if nobody comes and asks, then oh well, it's okay. It can go right. to the project. Absolutely. Um, ties in uh, very neatly with uh, you'll find Imperials at every level of government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> standing right in front of you <laughs> absolutely so i mean let, let's just take that that line and let's just let's book in that with how did they build a secret fleet that nobody knew about well they just right wrote it off <laughs> they just wrote it off exactly they literally wrote it off we're gonna yeah. ship this one to other projects i know that the 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 final order was meant it was said to be under construction for like decades but like this is exactly how you do that yeah, you literally just mire it in the bureaucracy and bury it in paperwork. And, and if nobody, off. if nobody asks, we just cook the books a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, looking at the window, Hera notices an exceptionally, exceptionally large hyperdrive core, uh, and it's tethered to a, a transport hauler. When she questions Weaver about it, he tells her that, well, that's been refurbished from a super star destroyer. 
and it's ready for its new life serving the Republic. He punctuates the story by telling her that they've produced nine of these new units, not just one, nine mm-hmm. of them. Oh, that's a great, uh, great point. Uh, Hera's background as a spy comes in handy here. Yeah, absolutely. It does know what to look for. Absolutely. doesn't hurt that she's a general who can, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell you to do something. Nothing's, you know, nothing's off limits to me. Cause he does give off the slime ball. Oh, he does. He you totally know, does. Businessman. He's trying though. He tries. He's oh, trying. I'm, I'm busy. I'm busy. Well, we can make this formal. Okay. Okay. We won't have to do that. Oh, I can. It's classified. Show him the merchandise. Not to me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so he punctuates that uh, they produced nine of these new units. And the ruse might have actually worked if Hera wasn't a New Republic general that knows that there aren't any ships of that size being built by the New Republic. Heck, it would have worked. And this is the thing. This I actually laughed at this, thinking about this. If they'd have come one day earlier or one day later, yeah, this never would have been a problem. No. It just happened to be exactly where they needed to be at the time they needed to be there, which fate thread. Well done. Yeah. Force, force works in mysterious ways. <laughs> yes, it does. Pressing Weaver. She asks, what class of ship is that for? Weaver stutters as he has no idea what to say. So picking up a nearby data pad, he proceeds to check on that information. Well, the data pad chirps and Weaver tells her that the information is classified Hera reminds him that she is a New Republic general and nothing is classified to her. Weaver apologizes that without authorization, he can't unseal a document. And with the mom smile, Hera tells him, I'm authorizing it. (laughs) Weaver chuckles as he mutters, I'm not sure you can. And flashing the space mom grin, Hera refutes him with, want to (laughs) bet? You ever had a, you know, uh, your kid kind of back talk you? Yep. Does that not sound like something a parent would say? Want to bet? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to roll them dice, Sonny? Weaver looks sheepishly to Ahsoka, who just folds her arms across her chest and stares back unfazed. Summoning one of the red protocol droids, Min hands the pad over to it and asks for help with the appropriate protocol. Ahsoka asks, what other kind of droids do you have here? Which catches the attention of one of the human workers at the back of the room. Weaver tells her that in addition to standard protocol type droids, they also employ CCLs, IW37s, and HV7s, among other load lifters. Ahsoka presses him a little more and asks, no HK class? Weaver chuckles as he snorts, assassin droids? I should think not. Hera adds, not even repurposed droids to stay on schedule, which, by the way, would make perfect sense because we've already seen repurposed battle droids doing exactly that. Weaver apologizes and he repeats that they do not have any. But the protocol droid C1, following its programming to a fault, blurts out that she catalogs inventory on arriving ships and she recently saw an HK class droid when it prevented her from completing her task. Another one of the human workers flashes a sideways glance at the New Republic officials. When Ahsoka asks C1 when that happened, C1 tells them it was just five rotations ago. Um, five rotations on Corellia. Legends would have us believe that one day, one rotation on Corellia was 25 hours. Right. So just five days ago? Yeah. Weaver chastises the droid. Why didn't you log a report? C1 tells him because the HK droid had a high-level security clearance and she could not object. 
Mm -hmm. Ahsoka asks, where is the HK droid now? Then pointing out the window, C1 says, I believe it's leaving on that transport. <laughs> the very same transport hauler with the SSD hyperdrive tethered to it. Well, uh, I want to talk about droids here for a second. I, I kind of went through this. I think there's a an actual, could be intentional, could be something that we've not seen before. There is no reference for uh, CCL droids. There are, however, because, and, and I use the context of, we are talking about load lifting droids. Mm -hmm. There are CLL load lifting droids. And I wonder if this is just a case of, different classification maybe. or he read the line incorrectly i was but exactly, they used it anyway i was gonna say he read the line wrong that's, that's what a, i think the jargon is hard to to wrap your head around i think that that's just you know yeah you, a case of confusing the techno babble but there we go uh the cll m2 binary load lifter along with the iw37 that's the pincer loader and then the hv7 loading droid what's interesting here is that two of the three the first two they made their first appearance uh, back in Revenge of the Sith. Mm -hmm. But the third one, that HV-7, that's an interesting uh, droid model. Uh, it's a hovering model of load-lifting droid that made its first appearance in the Legacy-era campaign guide for the Star Wars role-playing game uh, published by Wizards of the Coast in 2009. That campaign guide is set 100 years after the death of the Emperor oh, at crazy. Endor. So... Yeah. Um, that droid is making its appearance here a hundred years earlier than it should. Well, or 90 wow. years earlier. Our two is like a hundred. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, they'll be here long after we are. Yeah, exactly. Who is probably 10,000 years old. We've right. Exactly. For a long time. And still 75% original parts. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, C101. That is, uh, we, uh, this, this character is voiced by, uh, sorry, is, is portrayed by two people. We have the voice of C101. That's Shelby Young. We've seen her before. That's our Captain Bragg in uh, The Bad Batch, as well as uh, Lego Princess Leia uh, in just about every Star Wars Lego iteration where she speaks, as well as Princess Leia in the Forces of Destiny shorts. Now, the performance artist here, that's Chris Bartlett. Now, Chris has played C-3PO in several non-Star Wars appearances like Good Morning America and uh, Late Night with uh, David Letterman as well as Speechless. Now he's also performed several protocol droids in every live action Star Wars TV show to date, including both Bounty Hunters, One Jack and Q-9-0. And he was the blue protocol droid in your episode, Hank. Okay, I, I, I would love to uh, see uh, the, the meeting where we, okay, we need a guy who's really good at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need somebody. Get me the guy who's exceptional at this. <laughs> I didn't have enough space to put all of them in. Like I, I looked them up, but I mean, he was, uh, that's the traffic control droid from, um, from the book of Boba Fett. Yeah. He played a bunch of other protocol droids. That's awesome. Like he's been in every live action show as well, a droid. It's that or find me the guy that fits in this Anthony Daniels suit. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That was like life casted to Anthony. <laughs> now is this red protocol droid the same one C-3PO stole the arm off of? No, that's or an homage. Style? That's an homage to another droid character. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a droid, uh, a friend of C-3PO's that gets uh, essentially killed. So it's a tribute thing to, uh, I have a red arm. It's a solidarity thing. Perhaps you didn't recognize me. <laughs> As the hauler's engines light up, Hera orders one of the controllers to stop the ship. The woman says it's already been cleared and she can't stop it. Hera orders the woman to stop it. 
at the same time, one of the twitchy controllers decides to make a statement as he leaps out of his seat for the Empire. He levels a blaster at Hera's back, but before he could pull the trigger, Ahsoka uses one of her lightsabers to disarm the man and follows it up with a killing blow with the other saber. The rest of the command crew all draw blasters to engage. Hera gets off a shot before one of the attackers can, and Ahsoka dispatches the controller that was unable to stop the transport. Another woman at the far side of the room points her weapon at Ahsoka, but using the force, she rends it from the woman's hand just as Hera shoots her. With the immediate danger past, Ahsoka tells Hera to get to the Phantom. Min Weaver, who had taken cover behind C-101, pops his head up to take a look around just in time to see Ahsoka shatter the central window of the control center with her lightsabers and leap out. Look a lot like Batman there. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. I quite like that awesome. scene. Uh, command crew number one, because that's <laughs> that is the the uh, vaunted title that she gets. But hey, she had a speaking line, so yeah. I added it. Yeah. Command crew number one. That's the woman who said, "I can't stop it. They've already been cleared." That's uh, Kelly Fallon. Now she's a veteran stunt performer with uh, just over eighty appearances in uh, film and TV, going back as far as twenty eleven. Now Kelly's longest running gig was on the Peacock original series AP Bio, where she was the series stunt coordinator as well as a stunt performer for uh, 23 episodes of the series between 2018 and uh, 2021. Now, she has been the stunt double for some notable actresses, such as uh, Numi Rapace, Kristen Stewart, Catherine Winnick, Kristen Bell, Kristen Wiig, and most recently as uh, Jennifer Aniston's uh, stunt double on the Apple TV Plus original series, The Morning Show. Hmm. Wouldn't think there'd be need for stunt doubles on that one. I Yeah, well... <laughs> I guess if you fall down, I don't know. Slip on this banana. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, dropping dozens of feet to the platform below. By the way, an inhumanly impossible uh, task to survive. But hey, Jedi, Jedi. loved it. Superhero landing. Kaboom. Uh, dozens of feet to the platform below. Ahsoka lands in a controlled roll and comes up running at a sprint, I might add. She chases the hyperdrive and the, tra uh, the transport and the hyperdrive down the slip, but suddenly skids to a halt. The camera cuts to behind Ahsoka, where we watch uh, as the hauler, along with the hyperdrive, pull away from the shipyard. But more immediately, the black-clad form of Merrick, dressed in the trappings of an Imperial Inquisitor, including the double-bladed spinning lightsaber, stand before her, as does another HK assassin droid armed with an electrostaff. At the same time, Hera arrives at the Phantom, where she yells for Chopper to fire up the engines before climbing aboard and chasing after the escaping hauler. Now, we didn't talk about this last night, hmm. um, but we have talked about this before. The Inquisitorious is gone by the time we get to A New Hope. Long gone, yeah. So this is the first case of what we think is an Inquisitor being active after the Imperial Post. Era. Yeah. yeah. I don't think there's anything to agreed. conflict with that. No. Well, if he's running with uh, Balin Skull, though, maybe like not quite an inquisitor but he liked their style so that's what he adopted or whoever has adopted so there, that is entirely possible like you know I think your uh, the, closest the analogy Lin. might be the knights of ren that's uh, yeah. that is a possibility as well um we've we've talked in broad terms uh, the term survivor gets bandied around morgan is a survivor mm -hmm. ahsoka is a survivor balan is a survivor mm -hmm. whoever merrick there. is was might be could also be a survivor. And just like the line from Qui-Gon Jinn about his laser sword, 
How do you know I didn't kill a Jedi and take it from them? Mm-hmm. Right. How do you know I didn't kill an Inquisitor and take it from them? True. Yeah. I mean, the, the only the, real force use we see from this character is throwing the lightsaber and catching it. That's it. Yeah. And speaking of force use, this would have been a prime time for Ahsoka to just reach out like she did on the, uh, yeah, the down Venator. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Get back here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Come here. Just hold it long enough for hair to get up there. Absolutely. All right. Ahsoka takes up a ready stance as she ignites both of her white lightsabers. Merrick drops his cloak and the HK droid charges forward, swinging its electro staff. So fluid. Mm-hmm. So, so fluid. Um, Ahsoka defends the initial assault from the droid, but then Merrick is right behind it with his crimson blade. The phantom streaks by overhead and Hera can see the battle taking place below her on the slip. Ahsoka sweeps the droid's leg, sweep the leg, uh, knocking it down. But Merrick is unrelenting as he stays on top of her with an overhead chop. Crossing her blades, Ahsoka staves off the attack before driving him back with a couple of strikes of her own. High above the shipyard's waterways, Hera closes in on the transport hauler. She radios the ship, ordering it to return to port. But the only answer she gets is a barrage of cannon fire. But Hera is no slouch for a pilot, and she dodges the incoming fire. Now Chopper, on the other hand, begins to freak out as he bangs on the hull and chatters angrily at Hera. She tells him to uh, keep your lid on and begins to close the distance between her and the hauler. Back on the ground, Ahsoka continues to defend herself from both assailants. Moving in concert, both Merrick and the HK droid strike at the same time, tying up both Ahsoka's lightsabers as they try to uh, drive her over the edge of the slip into the empty trench. Ahsoka manages to get away from the edge, and she lands a kick to Merrick's chest, forcing him back. And that's the first vocal we get from Merrick. You decide what you think it is. <laughs> Maybe. At the I did same, say listen to that grunt. <laughs> at the same time, the HK droid that is now poised behind her takes a running swing at the back of Ahsoka's head, but she senses the attack and she ducks underneath it. The droid wheels to face her, but it's too late as Ahsoka drives her Shoto saber through its chest. But it's not the droid that she's focused on. Her eyes are locked squarely on Merrick. Driving the droid backwards and using it like a shield, Ahsoka swings at the Inquisitor, but he manages to deflect the blow. Then Merrick wheels around the droid, and he cuts the droid in half, denying Ahsoka her newfound shield. And as the lower half of the droid slumps to the ground, the two force wielders slowly square off. This time, Merrick activates the other half of his lightsaber. In the skies over the shipyard, the Phantom continues uh, to fire... Sorry, the Phantom continues to take fire from the transport hauler, but Hera stays calm as she weaves her way around the exploding flak. Chopper uh, chatters at Hera to shoot it down, but she tells our favorite murder bot that she can't just shoot it down because it would crash into the port city. Not impressed with Hera's answer, Chopper chatters what might as well be a what the fuck, and then tells him uh, she tells him to ready a tracking device, adding, and don't miss this time. Chopper shaking his head and mutters, mutters what I presume to be a mockery of, and don't miss this time. <laughs> so good. Down below, Ahsoka and Merrick continue to exchange blows. The grunting from Merrick would suggest that this battle is not without significant effort on his part, which is a stark contrast from Ahsoka, who hasn't even broken a sweat yet. Mm-hmm. Well, back on the Phantom. 
<laughs> uh, Chopper sifts through an assortment of random items in a compartment next to his droid socket. Holding up each component that isn't a tracking device, he inspects it for a moment before chattering no and then throwing it into the ether. With both hands on his domed head, he chatters at Hera, did you go through my stuff? <laughs> Hera re replies, no, I did not go through your stuff. Mm -hmm. Not convinced, he chatters back something like, yes, you did. By now, Hera is getting short with Chopper, and she snaps, did you look under the backup battery? And Chopper, what? Oh. Sliding the battery compartment open, Chopper spots a small round disc. Holding it up victoriously, he exclaims, found it. Somewhat relieved, Hera tells him, great, now hurry up. They're going to make the jump to hyperspace as soon as they clear the atmosphere. On the ground, Ahsoka and Merrick lock blades. Using a force push, Ahsoka shoves the Inquisitor several feet back. Just then, a chime goes off on Merrick's wrist comm, and he throws his lightsaber at Ahsoka, then turns and promptly runs away from her at a full tilt. Ahsoka backflips over the spinning blade, and she gives chase. But suddenly, Balin's shuttle swoops down, and it strafes the slip. Shin standing on the uh, stands on the lowered the lowered boarding ramp, while Merrick leaps onto it. The shuttle begins to pull away from the slip as Ahsoka runs out from a dust cloud. Merrick stretches out his hand, calling his lightsaber back. Sensing the flying weapon, Ahsoka easily leans out of its way and watches <laughs> as the shuttle closes the ramp and flies off. Just like Anakin in the uh, season finale. Like, yeah, he's just dodging. Yeah. <laughs> like cannon. As he's fire. just standing on top of the, uh, right, right. the tank <laughs> or the wreckage. What are you guys I'm doing down there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, a bit of a contrast to last episode where it was her who had to uh, leap onto the shuttle. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Nice. As the transport hauler breaks the atmosphere uh, with the Phantom in pursuit, Hera tells Chopper, get ready. Watching the glow of the engines, she spots the moment they shift power to make the jump to hyperspace and proceeds to roll the Phantom over top of the larger ship, which gives Chopper a clear line to throw the tracker. It's a little uh, Obi-Wan to Django there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Spinning his head like a top, Chopper winds up his throw and the device finds its mark. With a fist pump from his little arm, he chatters mm -hmm. what I presume is something like, got it. And then the hauler jumps away. Hera says, good work. And uh, he holds up both his arms over his head in a victory cheer before curling them down into what can only be described as a flex. <laughs> I think he says, I'm the man. Something like that, yeah. I'm the droid or I'm the man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Standing at the end of the slip, Ahsoka watches as uh, Shin and Merrick fly up and away from the shipyard. When her wrist comm link goes off, Ahsoka says, tell me you have good news. From the other end, Hera tells her that they got a tracker on the escaped ship. Now, just before we jump there. Oh, sure. Uh, do we assume that uh, because Empire folk are running this particular yard, are all the transport haulers like being fit with like full weapon systems? I kind of wondered about that, too. Like, and I know it's like just in case it's it's a very Star Warsian. It's a very sci fi thing that, you know, ships it seems like all ships of pretty much every class have some yeah. kind of weaponry, mm. which at first I thought that this hauler was more akin to the haulers we saw in solo. I never, which looked like a bunch of scaffolding with a, with a, basically a cockpit strapped yeah. to it. It's I still, never it has thought, an add element to it. it, it yeah. Like kind of close up to it. Yeah. Um, 
but Corelli was never, I mean, they were subjugated, but they, they, I mean, pre pre empire, they were, they were like a, a corporate sector world. Yeah. Yeah. They just like were a business world on sort of unaffiliated with anything, but, but business. There's a great, um, I don't know if it's uh there's a, there's a couple of YouTubers I watch and I can't think of who somebody I watched recently did it, did a video on exactly that subject. Like why is every ship armed? Like is the, is their galaxy that lawless? Cause I don't remember in the bad batch when that freighter is leaving Dooku's home world, the bulk freighter. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. I don't recall that one having any sort of, not really. No, you know, no defenses, but yeah. Mm. But again, it's a, it's a, it's a star Wars trope. Yeah, and I don't know if it's, unique to star wars certainly uh uh star trek has this has the same trope well i guess Every it's no ship different has... than you know a bank heist movie and dudes leaning out shoot back as they get away i mean yeah. if you wanted a real world and I'll, I'll use the star trek analogy that you know there's there's two th- two things that keep you from you know the, the cold vacuum of space one is that's what shields are for um yeah. and and weapons may have evolved out of like mining implements mm-hmm. and so maybe it's, that's why everything is armed it's also probable that that's like pre-existing Carillion tech sure like, it is not yeah. imperial tech but pre-existing Carillion yeah tech. yeah like republic and so, era and they would be protecting their own interests if they're right, capable yeah. of transporting hyperdrives across vast distances of space then yeah. those pilots need to protect the company's interests. Yeah, so, all those yeah. space pirates it makes sense to me. What do you mean, pirates? <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that other dude's not going to come back. Swamp thing, but oh right, uh, Dor- well, the false would, king. Dorian, oh, he would be gone by this point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're concurrent with that season of mm-hmm. of Mando. You're right, uh, uh, Gorian Shard. Yeah. yeah, but there is another pirate out there somewhere out there. <laughs> need it so bad. That guy survived. I just want to point out for uh, for those who don't follow the show, like you know that he is uh, at the Black uh, Spire outpost. So that means that he survived to the the sequel era. Right. He's out five years. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't just get added to Galaxy's Edge for no reason. Absolutely not. Like, is there a Max Rebo at Galaxy's Edge? I don't think so. (laughs) Maybe they'll have Max Rebo days. Maybe had Mando days. Yeah. They just added Ahsoka. They did. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Did you see the Ahsoka that they hired? They must have wonderful. more than one. They've got to have more well, than the one. The one I saw on social media is wonderful. We probably saw the same photo, mm-hmm. and I agree. It's absolutely spot on. Well, I, I, I've seen a video of her interacting with it, like maybe a four-year-old done up. Oh, like that's Ahsoka, so cool. And it is so just, oh, yeah, yeah my yeah. feelings. Back on Lothal, Sabine returns to the communications tower she calls home. She greets her pet cat before moving over to a workbench where she removes a large rucksack from underneath it. Now, placing the bag on a table, she removes the pieces of her Beskar armor and lays them out in the position that they would be worn on her body. I'm just going to point out, descriptive audio says Beskar armor, not Mandalorian armor, Beskar armor. So uh, if there was ever any doubt, uh, we might be able to say, nope, that's what it is. Facebook user, they have two so far, and they are both awesome. Two Ahsokas at Galaxy's Edge. Okay, good to know. Returning to the workbench, uh, Sabine crouches down, and she retrieves her helmet. She pauses for a moment uh, to look at it before she gets back up. And in the next scene, uh, now dressed in her Beskar armor, Sabine kneels in front of a low table bearing her helmet and a knife. 
She picks up the knife and she turns it over ceremonially in her hands before gathering her hair in one hand and cutting it off with the knife in the other. Then placing the knife back on the table, she picks up her helmet and rises. All right. Um, I had to look around for this, but thanks to, uh, to Redditor uh, 526 Gina, here we've got a, a, a good comparison shot of uh, Sabine's armored looks across all four seasons of Rebels. Yeah. including the uh the epilogue uh look which by the way um this is the epilogue armor that we're looking 100 yeah yeah for sure it is yeah uh, did right you, down did, to the you caught the Kane and jarris reference with the haircut yeah cutting off the ponytail oh man <laughs> yeah very much so i just thought it was cool at this point uh to, to go through i mean i don't know if you want to look at those again if you want to take a, a better look at them but to see the to see them lined up together, her uh, evolution of the look of that character yeah. over the course of the series, she even gets more, more armor added to her as the series oh, progresses. It's mm. true, and she thought was kind of cool. In, in this iteration, she's eschewed the Spectre uh, designation, the five. Oh yeah, yeah, it's gone. But I mean, that changed up. Uh, quite a bit because there was just the at one point it was just the checkerboard and then there was mm -hmm. uh, some other stuff on there so i don't know that's cool but yeah definitely the uh, the epilogue version of the armor which i mean if we weren't convinced by now i i kind of go back to yeah i do think that the epilogue was recreated I do for for the show yeah i didn't and now i do <laughs> I, I do as well i think this was sort of the lock for me um, where are we now? Oh yeah. Okay. Back. back on Corellia. Now, uh, Ahsoka and Sabine stand on a platform watching as new Republic security forces round up several of the shipyards workers, including Min Weaver. Um, as we've seen before, we've got the, uh, the police, uh, style gunship, uh, which does say police on it. Mm -hmm. Hera questions how any of them could still be loyal to the empire. Ahsoka tells her it's not loyalty. It's greed that drives them it's not the cookies <laughs> those empire biscuits the biscuits man. the biscuits the travel biscuits we still haven't done that episode. no we haven't no we've not <laughs> Hera, uh, sorry turning toward the phantom Hera asks chopper for an update on the tracking device he tells her nothing yet and Hera instructs him to keep working on it she then tells ahsoka that when they have something more definitive she'll let her know ahsoka nods before turning and boards her t6 jedi shuttle Stepping on board, uh, she uh, on board the ship. She pauses as the ship's calm uh, chimes, hitting a control on the bulkhead next to the cockpit. A life-size hollow image of Sabine, dressed in her Beskar armor and wearing her lightsaber on her belt, flickers into being. Ahsoka faces the hologram, and Sabine tells her, "I'm ready." And Ahsoka cracks a ever so slight smile. Outside, Hera confers with a pair of New Republic security officers then pauses as the T-6 shuttle lifts off. Its giant wing rotates into flight position as the shuttle gains speed and departs for Lothal. At the Remembrance Plaza on Lothal, Sabine enters the memorial and she walks up to the mural of the Spectre group and pauses to reflect on her old shipmates, especially Ezra Bridger as she gently touches his face. From outside, the whine of a starship's engines grow loud before fading to nothing. Turning, Sabine sees Ahsoka standing on the platform, the hood of her cloak drawn up over her head. 
Sabine smiles as she approaches her former master. Now, standing face to face, Ahsoka breaks the silence, telling Sabine, nice haircut. Sabine smiles as she says, it's more me. Then Huyang exits the ship to tell them that he's just received word from Hera uh, that the transport hauler was traced to the Denab system and is in orbit over the planet Cetos. Turning to Sabine, Ahsoka says they should get moving and boards the T-6, but Sabine hesitates for a moment. Then, finding her resolve, she forges ahead, and the T-6 shuttle pulls away from the plaza. As the ship breaks, uh, breaks orbit, Hu Yang announces that the calculations are complete. Ahsoka adjusts a few controls before looking towards Sabine and tells her, Take us out, Padawan. <laughs> Sabine smiles at Ahsoka and pulls the levers to engage the hyperdrive, and the ship jumps for the Denab system. Um, I actually, there's, there's a, it's a, almost a throwaway line. Uh, and I know we've talked about this before, but the fact that Hu Yang says the, uh, where does he say here? He says, um, da, 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 uh, the calculations are complete. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that they've actually made a point to like, oh, we're not just going to like throw things, the levers forward and, and light skipping and all that. Like we can just go as fast as we want, whenever we want. Right. It takes us a little bit back to. Traveling throughout the space requires, yeah, precise calculations. Yeah. I, I do like that aspect. Above the planet Cetos, a massive, massive hyperspace ring is being assembled in orbit. The transport hauler from Corellia with the SSD hyperdrive core arrives, uh, and the hauler lowers it into an empty engine nacelle. Now, I have to admit, when we saw this in the marketing material, I actually thought this was a close-up of a Jedi hyperspace ring. Yeah. Right. Never in a million years did I imagine that they just that this made it bigger. They're cooking yeah. a giant one. Oh my gosh! Yeah, this is huge, huge. This is the Eye of Sion. At the top of the ring sits the ship's golden bridge. It's the same color as that moth, that moth-looking mm -hmm. shuttle that uh, mm -hmm. Morgan kind of landed in, and I wonder if it's like like a like a you know the the phantom is to the ghost as the moth ship might be to this maybe oh, maybe yeah morgan elizabeth stands on the bridge of the eye of scion looking out over the planet below she turns as the hollow image of balin shin and merak materializes uh merak is doing that villain stance again <laughs> is there an injury there or is he just is he just flexing i'm a villain he's awkward posing i think yeah yeah well, she tells the three false Jedi that uh, installation of the final hyperdrive has begun and the ship will soon be complete and they will deliver Grand Admiral Thrawn from his exile in the far galaxy depicted at the Henge. Balin says the sooner the better. Sensing something is wrong, Morgan asserts that the appearance of Ahsoka Tano troubles him and Balin admits, yeah, it does. The remark catches his Padawan by surprise as she looks at her master wide-eyed. Shin tells Balin that they made a clean escape and Ahsoka couldn't have tracked them here. Knowing there is something more to Balin's troubles, Morgan asks the former Jedi what it is he sees. Closing his eyes, Balin reaches out. He says that Ahsoka's presence in the Force is elusive. Then opening his eyes, he adds that her determination is vivid. She is coming. 
Morgan tells him that nothing can be allowed to prevent their journey. Balin thinks, uh, sorry, Balin blinks and he shakes his head wistfully as he says it would be a shame to kill her with there being so few Jedi left. Yeah. Morgan questions him. Sentimental? But Balin just calls it a truth. Then the hologram winks out, leaving Morgan alone on the bridge, save for the pair of droids. And with a determined scowl, Morgan turns her back toward the uh, turns back towards the viewport, folding her arms behind her back, and we cut to black. But wait, but wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more, and I mean, you've all seen it by now, and everybody on the internet is talking about it, so we might as well too. Um, episode one, it was also in episode one, but uh, it was. I thought here, I'd leave it here. It it's is. more prominent in your episode. Uh, episode sure. two, we get uh, additional voices. Uh, we do have an appearance here from Sam Whitworth. The prevailing, mm-hmm. uh, the prevailing theory is he is the grunty <clears throat> of Marak. If you watched our video on who is the mystery inquisitor, if you watched our road to Ahsoka series, you know that we have already sort of theorized that yes, he's on the block. Star Killer is is an option for this character. Earlier today, I saw an interview with him that was filmed like maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, and he's being asked a question, and he's like, "I can't technically answer that. I love these questions, but I can't answer it because I'm on strike." He's like, "Maybe I can't answer it. No, wait, I was in Ahsoka." I can't answer that question. <laughs> That's right. I swear to God, he does that. He goes, no, I, I was in that, that show. No, I was in that show. So I can't answer that. I was like, like forgot that he was in a soap. Yeah. Yeah. Is that yeah, him yeah. acting right there? Or is it really just a, I was the, the voice of a, a computer. Uh, or I, I hummed for a blender. So we have the comment that says it could also be the eighth brother, but I hope it's Starkiller. We also uh, theorize the Jango jumper. <laughs> I I theorize the eighth brother based on the shape of the helmet that the the ridged helmet was sort of right. in line with what we'd seen by the eighth brother. So, so that, but let's combine bad. let's combine the shape of the 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 the, the uh, helmet with the idea that perhaps I killed a Jedi and took it. There you go. Right, so I do brother, like that idea. So did you guys see the video I sent you of Sam? I did. Talking? I watched it. I yeah. watched the whole thing and I was very, very impressed. He had his own answer. idea of like how you could reinterpret the character. And I was just yeah. like, he's one of us. He's just the coolest man. To, to, to paraphrase what he said, if I may, he basically had said that, you know, the, the idea of making Starkiller an inquisitor, remembering that Starkiller, the, the crux of Starkiller is that he's Vader's secret apprentice. And how would Vader secretly train an apprentice in the current star Wars canon. Well, it's a very dodgy subject because if you make him an inquisitor, if he doesn't perform, they'll kill him, but you can't be too good to raise suspicion that Vader's training a secret apprentice. Right. But it's a good way to hide somebody under the emperor's nose. That was like, he, he talked himself through that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is a good way. So I like it. I mean, we all know that that game was just showcasing some, some new, uh, the developers uh the ability to do cool stuff right right and that was sort of the uh, the mantra behind the the developers i mean of course table. he's super overpowered and we could yeah. never have because people are already going no, to no, be star killer because he no. would just wipe the floor with ahsoka no sure but he can game be. version of him would be but if we had a, a nerfed more regular style 
badass Jedi version of him. He doesn't have to be Star Killer. He can the just be Galen Merrick. Apprentices of, of yes, Darth Vader absolutely. Going, like, yes, beautiful. It works for me. Yeah. It works it's for me. Better than the idea that people are going. It's either Kanan or maybe it's uh, Cal Kestis. I've seen a lot so, of those. There is that. I, I've also heard, you know, that this is this is, uh, you know, Ezra Bridger come back, fallen from uh, grace, or whatever. And, and that would that would make it sort of, you know, I've said it before, on par with the taking the mask off. You are yeah. Darth Revan. Oh my God! If it is, there. if it is Ezra, you better get to the reveal very quickly so we can spend the rest of the series redeeming him because that's mm. going to be what the series will will be about, ostensibly. Yeah. <sighs> We've had, uh, um, oh my gosh, we've we've talked Barris Offie. I don't. I don't think, think it is Ezra though. No, no. because I, if I they're still so actively trying to go get I don't Thrawn, think, yeah, exactly. How the hell would yeah. he have gotten? I right? I know, I know. Like, well, he can swim with the Purgles, but yeah. I don't. I don't think we'll go that direction. You think he just like you know did, did the, he he Mick Dundee to Purgle to bring him back? The, the first time he interacts with the Purgles, it's like season two or three. Yeah. It's not the big jump and his eyes go hyperspace when he interacts with them. Yeah. Like he connects. He's, he's a different kind of cat when it comes to uh, connecting with creatures. I mean, because it is a mystery and only because of the mystery, is it a mystery? Mm. Nobody's off the table. No, there is, there is like more likely and less likely Ezra way on the less likely. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yes, man. I, I really do in light of the stuff that we've seen, like the, the Twitch stream with Sam talking about, you know, Dave Filoni wanting to make Starkiller an inquisitor in rebels. Then this latest video with Sam sort of talking his way through this idea of how could you have coupled that with the almost slip up of going, I wasn't yeah. in this. Oh, wait a minute. I was, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was in that. Yeah. I'm having a realization in a Twitch stream. <laughs> do I want it to be, do I want it to be Galen Merrick? I, Sure. Again, I think it's cool already uh, going back to what we'd said before. And I remember Hank, you had said, you know, like if this guy is nothing more than a speed bump as Ahsoka just walks through him. Well, he's already proven to be more than that. Yes. He's already proven to be more than that. Yes. But as we saw in this episode, he was, he was exerting himself. Quite yeah, he a was bit. pressed. Like yeah. he was uh, uh, not a peep from Ahsoka, like no. not even like heavy breathing from her. So we shall see we shall see but that being said it's uh monday night here uh on the show that means tomorrow uh we tomorrow night we're getting episode. another episode of ahsoka and we will be back oh. next sunday to uh to cover that one as well um guys what do we think of uh toil and trouble now that we've gotten through it loved it 11.5 out of 10. <laughs> uh, 11.5. So you've gone from an 11 out of 10 to an 11 and a half out of 10. Your scores <laughs> keep getting better every show. Well, ahead. Yeah. I mean that I was super impressed with a lot of that stuff. Going yeah. yeah, yeah. So hundred um, percent. I'm not sure what the E is for, but I'll take it. I, I, Probably for it. episode three coming up. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh yeah. For episode three, for sure. Um, now that we've gotten through it, uh, again, like I said last night, uh, when I sat down and I watched them together the, the first night, last Tuesday, mm. and I was like, mm, I think the first thing I said to you guys was like, oh, this feels like it's going to be a slow burn. Once again, though, having watched the episodes microscopically yeah. the way that we do, yeah, I get so much more out of it, and I am so much more, yeah, I'm way on board with this one. Like, like I is a real champion for Andor. 
because I wanted to be, and it and it met my expectation. Oh, it's slow burn, but it built to a fire. This I didn't have as much hope for, and mm. it has exceeded. It has yeah. exceeded. So for yeah. me, uh, uh, toil and trouble, 10, 10 out of ten for me for sure. It's a ten out of ten. I'm even, uh, you know, I'm over the, the moon with how good it's been. Like like I said at the beginning, I I just I just hope they can maintain this because now I had those lofty expectations yeah, and they've yeah. been met and then some so now my like the the final uh six episodes have a That's lot right. to sort of uh big boots to fill now we've got a, a lot of ground to get through we know we are getting thrown we've seen them in the marketing materials um are we gonna see ezra again i don't know do you want to see ezra again so, i hope i don't so. know if this is legit i was gonna send it to you guys later maybe Maybe it's not worth talking about, but maybe it is. There's a season three promo out there, and I don't know if it's fan made or not, but it seems to show Ezra dressed totally different, totally like almost in a world between worlds, like but uh, from behind. So it's like a, I don't know. <laughs> so Di Disinferno, uh, that's a great point. Disinferno says Merrick has uh, rusty armor. There's no Imperial markings on his armor. Oh, that I is disagree. a great He's point. Actually, he actually does have the Imperial. Does he? I'm going to have to go back and look for that totally because does, yeah. now that. Is it just like embossed oh, on his shoulder pauldron? Or? I don't, uh, I like don't know if it's on? a paint job or, or not. I don't know. I don't know. Some of that armor stamped, right? Is this a reason for him to be Vader's apprentice? Wow. I mean, so, I mean, can, canonically, we talked about this before. All the Inquisitors are trained by Vader. Yeah. They're his, they're his little, I don't know, uh, pardon and, the pun. Wolf and the, pro, the proto-Inquisitors were trained by Palpatine, and the, the whole package was just handed to Vader. Right. Here you go. Look right. after these people yeah. and and uh, give them jobs. Uh, wow. I'm going to have to go look for that now, That the, uh, the symbol. Mm-hmm. That's got me thinking now. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that I saw it. it That's a great comment. Great comment, because now <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. I think we're all second-guessing. What? We're Wait, doing what? some work what? now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, so excited to come back to this. Inquisitors, like I've said before, they've been my favorite villains since the West End game, uh, the West End game it's, Star Wars. What a great way to make like a, like a, a lightsaber duel a viable threat, but yeah. also have it be like bad guy light so that you can just kick their arses. <laughs> That's right. You know? Does anybody care that uh, about the lightsaber thing anymore? Do we care about the lightsabers aren't lethal anymore? Yes, they are. Yeah, they it, are. They just gotta. It's it's these unskilled people that don't know where to stab guys. Sure, <laughs> you know, and I've always said that you know if it serves the story, the story always comes first for me. I will um, say one thing: if I was yeah, a sure. lightsaber wielder and I poked yeah. you with it and yeah. then pulled it straight out, there's a chance yeah. that you would live. But if I just went laterally with it, well. <laughs> it's over. That's right. I don't know why. Unless, of course, you can you cut know. a hole in them like a door. TJC, stopping by to say, hey, hey, TJ, we're going to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, transect any species and see how they uh, come out. <laughs> Except for possibly That's right. a Zatrak. <laughs> just that one yeah. and only one. Well, hey, you can take somebody's organs, put them in a bag, and shove right. them in a droid body. So sure. I mean, you can put their, you can, yeah, right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right, guys, uh, that's it for us here. Uh, our game our, no? Oh, wait a minute! Oh, segment, wait a though. minute! You know what? We got time. We do we have time. time, and guess what? Uh, so, how do we want to set this up? I know you set it up last night. Uh, I think take oh, it away. 
It's okay. I'm just going to put this me up put, here. Yeah, put them back there because they're and in there. The next slide, I believe, right? It is. Okay, yeah. So, let me. Uh, let me. So, in a little here. game that I've been calling in my head, and I don't have a better name for it now, but attention, Bruce Willis. Squinting is not an emotion. <laughs> squinting is not an emotion. <laughs> I give. I give to you again, once again, the the many emotions of Ahsoka Tano. <laughs> one. A, one. One. Two. Two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's a good one. An honorable, An honorable mention. mention from Hera. I think we should call this one uh, resting to Gruta face. <laughs> <laughs> resting to Gruta face. So that indeed is a, I think that might be a running gag. So let, well, let's That's see if they can hilarious. keep up. That's great. Uh, I look forward to counting the number of armfolds uh, in every episode as we go forward, because that has just become like the sweet spot for me. And so the episode, there was 12 in the first one, there was nine in this one. And it seems like there's one roughly every five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll say in, in this episode, when, when they were dismantling the, the droid head, yeah, she kept that for like a six-minute scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody stood over my hospital bed like that, I'd be like, "Is there something wrong? Like, are you okay?" I love it. This Inferno Star Killer was stabbed by Vader and survived. Many people still want this to be. Canon. Oh, it's true. I mean, that and and true. there's. I mean, we get we get crazy. Uh, you can play that game, uh, light side, dark side. So. And there's alternate endings to those games where like That's different right. realities play out because there's one where he slays Vader and becomes like yeah 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 he's, he becomes the thing. Um, yeah, I'm excited for this. Yes, uh, a part of me does want it to be to be Sam because I think Sam is great. Like we we oh, said, I'd love to see one him. of us, yeah. right? He really is one of us. That and, video. And- they used his face for that character, and, and that's right. Be, it, it's just seamless. Like yeah. You wouldn't, yeah, and I mean, it would be. I think he's appropriately aged to. Uh, I would say so. Sure. Yeah. He's a late 30, 40, early forty something, is he not? I would think forty something. Really. He was I think in he's a forty Smallville, right? His Doomsday. Oh yeah, in season eight, I believe. I just, one of my favorite stories about him, I know we're going on, is just that he's sitting in a writing session in a scene, and yep. he's sitting there listening, listening to dialogue between, I think it was like Ahsoka and Anakin. And yeah. He says to Dave Valoni in the middle of the recording session, Anakin wouldn't say that. And they like <laughs> they have this discussion where and, and the conclusion is, no, he's right. Wait a minute, all the writers are yeah, going, yeah, yeah. No, Anakin, you're wow, who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> can you can you sound like Darth Maul? Cool. All right. Well, listen, I think uh I think we've uh, run its the the show has run its course for tonight. Yeah, uh we we kind of went a little bit long tonight. We're an hour and uh, almost we're an hour forty five minutes in. We're exactly um, what we were last night. Oh, that's very interesting. And I tend yeah. to be pretty pretty wordy, so good for me, um, <laughs> guys. If you uh, don't want to hang out with us tomorrow night, uh, that's fine. We'll see you next Sunday as we uh, as we do episode uh, three or part three, whatever the title is. We don't know the title yet, do we? Not yet. Hasn't no. leaked yet. Okay. No, it hasn't. Um, if you want to come back tomorrow night for our regular Tuesday night, it's uh, the next installment of Random Fandom where we'll have a, a bunch more pop culture and entertainment headlines pulled from uh, the news of the last week. 
that we'll talk about um, like we normally do on Tuesday nights. It's usually a lot of fun. We like to play. We do some games on that one as well. We do uh, some some uh, trivia, pop some culture trivia, and we do. Uh, I got a word game that we play. It's kind of fun. So you can always hang, uh, come back and hang out uh, for that. Otherwise, we'll see you next week, guys. Um, any more for any more before we sign off? Can't wait for the next one. Ah, not too. long to go. No, no, just a few hours. Uh, oh, by the way, we had one response so far. Uh, Doug, a friend of the show, Doug, said, yes, I would be interested in a uh, Ahsoka finale live stream party. So that's one. Awesome. Uh, if you were, if you guys think you'd be interested in hanging out with us to live stream the finale in, uh, what, six weeks' time, let us know if there's enough. For sure. We're going to be doing it anyway, so if you guys yeah. want to join in, <laughs> just want to totally join in. <laughs> absolutely but like all we'll, right we'll have to do something with like a, a countdown clock where we're all like okay everybody ready press the button yeah really no, no. <laughs> no you can do a watch party on disney plus does it will allow for watch parties oh I'm not that's sure. cool. i know netflix cool. does but... i know and prime video does as well and there's family hmm. sharing i will find out we'll look into it yep i will find out i will know by tomorrow when we uh, sit down to talk uh pop culture tomorrow night Nice. All right, guys. Uh, I think that's it for all of us here at the show. For Fandom Power, my name is Wes. I'm Andy. And I'm Hank. And we'll see everybody next time. And bye for now. Pew, pew. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. 